off. Cosby. Run away. Somebody from another repeat of The Simpsons. And catch The Flash Thursday. Do this old-fashioned style. <sighs> Just had to get that kick going in. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and I am here with my good friend Tim Elliott. Say hi, Tim. Hello. And we also have over here John Hyatt. Say hi, John. Hey, everybody. And we have got a great episode for you. It's uh, shameless. It's coattails riding. It's... Uh, obligatory and uh tim is going to tell us what we're going to do what are we doing tim is that that my is that my cue yeah because i'm taking the drink and i do (laughs) okay well because uh the flash film is coming up uh at time of this recording it's gonna open in about a week so we thought we would shamelessly plug our show with uh a john byrne story that features the flash and there was a flash tv special it was, I guess, a tie-in to the 90s John Wesley Ship show that featured two stories, and one of them was written by John Byrne. So we thought, well, we'll, we'll pick that one, because I couldn't think of any other really Flash stories that he had done other than maybe Legends. So we're going to be covering uh, his story. It's not his art, but it's his story. It's his writing to uh, kind of coincide with the, the upcoming film. Yeah, it's very early 90s art. Uh, it, oh, it's 90s. Yes, lots of 90s yeah. damage all it, over the It's art. got kind of a Mark Teixeira feel to it. I was you know, when he was on the Punisher. Exact, yeah, or, or uh, Ghost Rider. That's kind of yeah. where I first met him. It's got very heavily looks like his work. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm excited for the movie itself. I've heard nothing but I mean I've heard nothing but horrible things about Ezra Miller in the last year or so. But I've heard nothing but great things about this movie, which has been actually, I think, in the can for two years now, hadn't it? Well, I thought uh, they went back and did a lot of reshoots. I, th- I think they, they did so they could focus less on Ezra Miller himself and, you know, maybe give some more more action for Michael Keaton, for Ben Affleck, for uh, other characters that we that I'm sure we're going to be surprised by. Uh, in there. And I mean, Michael Shannon is coming back as General Zod. Um I'm sure there's a lot of surprises that we'll be well, talking I, about. And I actually have tickets for Thursday. My son uh, scored tickets for Thursday night, which um, nice. got me a little bit in trouble with, with uh, Paul Spataro because uh, that was when we were supposed to record our GoldenEye discussion. And uh, now the, the guys have graciously uh, you know, decided to go ahead and push back a week so that I wouldn't miss the, the recording of, of, uh, of that because I really want to talk about that. So uh, thanks, Paul, and thanks, guys. Thank you an offer you couldn't refuse? You would, I mean, you know, Chris got the tickets. He bought the tickets not knowing that I had that scheduled. No, that's fine. But, you know, it is well, what it is. If we've learned anything from Vin Diesel, it's family is important. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I took that from Shazam, though. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's true. That's true. We're tied in. Keep it with DC. Yeah. yeah I, don't, now, I don't know much I'm, about the film. I... Uh, to your point, I've heard, yeah, Ezra Mill has been in the news for some of his um, behavior issues. lately, issues. And, you know, <laughs> there was there was rumors of how can they salvage the film? Do they take him out completely? 
do they uh, shelve it like they did with the, the the Batgirl film that they finished and then just never released? You know, the reviews on this have said this this is one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. There have been but, so many people that have just gushed about it, and I think a lot of that is. Uh, yeah, to your point, the reviews are coming in. I think before the reviews came in, everybody thought it was going to be a train wreck. Mm-hmm. But And they thought, well, it's going to make money only because everybody's going to see um, Keaton. It's going to be like a Spider-Man um, No Way Home. Yeah, it's with all the cameos. That because the, the feel of this movie seems to have a similar feel to Spider-Man No Way Home. I think they're uh, trying to... They think that, that they are trying to, to replicate that uh, with... The cameos I, and things like but that. But they couldn't have. I mean, the thing is, most of it was already done before the other movie was even made. Well, I mean, so I, and this is loosely based on Flashpoint. Right. The limited series that kind of reset the DC um, universe. And Spider-Man No Way Home is basically the Marvel version of Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, so, it's a, so yeah, I mean, there are similarities in there. And, and so I just hope that people don't walk out of the Flash movies saying, man, they ripped off Spider-Man. <laughs> well, it's it's always going to be who came first is going to get the credit yeah. for whatever it is. And, and I'm wondering how many times are we going to make Flashpoint? I mean, we've got the animated version. We've got the TV series version. You know, it's just. <laughs> yeah, but this this movie version is is what gives James Gunn you know, his carte blanche to, to basically, you know, wipe the universe without necessarily saying that none of the other stuff ever happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like the film equivalent of crisis. They get to kind of reset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's set up. So if they, I think if they want to get rid of Miller, they can, uh, I don't know about, I think this is Affleck's last turn as Batman. Um, I thought I'd heard a rumor that they were talking of doing a spinoff with Keaton. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, and if this this solves a problem of Cavill not coming back as Superman, so now you have Supergirl. So they've kind of reset all the players. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, no, it's an interesting thing. It's just uh, another Flashpoint movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I don't think that that she is going to be the de facto DC super. You know. You know. When you come back, come to Superman. And James Gunn Superman, she's not going to be in his universe. Oh, you don't think she's, so? She's, she's, she's not going to be there. I mean, she could have her own movies, her own things. She could have crossovers and such, but she is not going to be part of, the, part of the Superman family, as it were. That's too bad. I'm looking forward to seeing what they'll do with her because it's we haven't, you know, we haven't had anything kind of really focused on Supergirl uh, since the '80s movie. <laughs> I mean, well, well, TV show, the TV series, TV, the TV series. show, and there are a well, lot of people. This will be a are... very divergent version of what we got with uh, the TV show. So it'll be interesting to see how they do this, and then what what can they do with the character afterwards? Yeah, but as as I understand it, this particular iteration of Supergirl is not based on any comic book. Well, yeah. No, it's I could, the, be, I could be wrong on that. I think they're just looks looks like they're flipping the the Superman character from Flashpoint. Just mm-hmm. gender swapping, and it's now Supergirl instead of Super, Superman. That yeah, he's been mm-hmm. locked away, kept away from the sun, and the government's been experimenting on him and that kind of thing. So okay, well, it'll it be interesting like. to see for sure. Um, uh, uh, 
looking we're looking for I'm looking forward to seeing it come out. I haven't viewed any of the the previews yet, so I need to go find those and check them yeah, out. I guess we spoiled a few things for you then, didn't we? No. no. <laughs> okay. 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 I don't think so. I think that we haven't talked about anything that's not in the trailers. Yeah. yeah. If it's, yeah no big deal. Yeah. yeah. No, I've been seeing stuff. I've been seeing. I've seen a couple of the images of Supergirl, and at first I was like, "Where is this coming from? Um, you know, who is this? I mean, what do they mean? This is Supergirl." So um, now seeing that it's tied into this is good. I'm not crazy about her costume. It reminds me a lot of the Eradicator costume from the Man mm -hmm. of Steel series. Kind of a mm -hmm. full blue bodysuit, and the and the cape kind of blends in with the the S shield. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I like it. Okay, for for what it's trying to trying to represent. And again, yeah, this and, is and, you know, you I don't I don't require that she be in a mini skirt and yeah, you know, something like that. I'm not saying that. I'm just um, bring back some bring back some briefs. Bring back the uh, the underwear. I'm pretty sure James Gunn is going to do that. I, th I think he's going to he's going to go classic on us. I still haven't seen Guardians. I keep trying to go and I haven't really had a chance to go. Yeah, well, I saw. Treat. I, I really enjoyed it. I've heard mixed things. Some people I've heard. Well, I've heard it's okay. Too. I really liked it. I haven't heard anything really bad about it. So um, I have seen F F A uh, F X. The new Fast and Furious. Uh, Why? Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, I kind of, I basically kind of went and watched it ironically. Um, and it's, if you thought the last one off the rails, this one is really off the rails. Yeah, and and, and I, that, I mean that's part of why I, I I don't even know what number they're on. And I guess you ten. just said X, so that's it's ten. ten. Yeah. And I mean, I, I I just I guess when they got to about six or seven, I was I was already done. And then, you know, you hear stuff about the stars. And, of course, there's all the, that, that uh, testosterone stuff going on between Vin Diesel and, rock. and The Rock. Well, I've heard and, a lot of the – they say a lot of the is Vin Diesel's co-stars don't like working with him. So that's why I keep having to bring in new characters for him to deal with because the other actors – they're all kind of off in their own, yeah. um, their own movie. I, I'm not – Fan of the, I mean, I kind of watch them. I, I, I'm more fascinated by the, how they really got almost a tight um, uh, continuity between all the films. For having ten films, they fit together pretty well. Wait, no, wait, 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 wait. They've killed outright killed on screen two characters where there was no doubt that they were dead, and they brought them back. The continuity yeah. is not safe. Well, they, I will. <laughs> well, I will. If you don't plan on seeing it, and John, do you plan on seeing it? The Fast and Furious movie? Yes. No. Okay. So if I spoil it, you don't care. I don't, I don't care. care. Okay. So listeners. Spoilers for the next few spoilers minutes. Spoilers for the next few minutes it. on Fast X. So skip ahead. Yes, Brian. They brought back uh, Han, you know, in the mm -hmm. last film. And they came up with some convoluted way of like, oh, no, no. His death was all faked. He's not dead. Right. Well, in this movie, it did the same thing with G Giselle. The, uh, so that's three they brought back. Because yep. they brought back Letty. Letty uh, they brought back know. Letty. So basically, everybody that was dead, other than bad yeah. guys, is come back. Cause she that she pops up at the end, and I'm sure it's going to be some explanation. Like it's the Kurt Russell who is kind of pulling these strings and faking these deaths so he can get this big team together. So yeah. the next two or one or two movies will have um, will have well, and it, spoilers too. 
John Cena dies in this one, but I'm sure he will not stay dead. He'll come back. Well, if only they bring back Rick Flag in the next um, Suicide Squad movie, then I'll be okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to change subjects for just a second. And um, I, I read something earlier today, and I, I it was on my phone, so I've lost it already. But they said that there's going to be or that there might be a hint of Harrison Ford's General Ross going Red Hulk. Have you guys heard anything about this? No. Uh, I think people were asking about it, but I don't. Uh, you want to see a CGI red Harrison Ford Hulk? Well, I, I mean, you know, how long is Harrison Ford going to be doing this? I mean, well, maybe till, he's got till the they stop paying him. Shatner. You know, Shatner is 92 and still kicking and running and, and doing everything. And, and have you all watched this uh, Stars on Mars series? No. No, I saw an ad for it. It looks, it looks like it was a lot of fun, but I haven't seen it. It, no, is, I haven't seen it. it is fun, but it's, it's uh, crazy. And of all people, of all people that get on their show, they got Lance Armstrong. <laughs> I, I mean, and you're just like, okay, well, kick him off, kick him off quick, kick him off quick. And uh, the first week, they actually kicked off someone I didn't want them to kick off. So, But they've only had one episode so far. My wife and I are both like, okay, this actually looks interesting. Well, have you watched uh, Fubar, Schwarzenegger's new TV show? No, I, I've not seen that yet. It's not, it's not very good. It's not terrible, but he is obviously, you know, he's 75 playing a guy who's 65, and he's still, you know, super active and doing all this stuff. And that's just not a lot of... Um, yeah, there was a, a trailer that just came out this last week for Expendables 4 with Stallone. Yeah, I heard that there he's going to get Statham's in that, and he's got uh, Dolph Rundgren's in that. And yep. those Looks are films like Dolph that, is getting a bigger, bigger role this time around. Yeah. Those are films that I want to like more because on paper they should be really good, but they're not. There's something missing there. I don't know if it's... You, well, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, funny because like when, when the series was first being made, I was like gung ho and I, I, I went and, and saw each of them in the theater, each of the first three, but I've had no desire or urge to go back and watch them again. You know, like the, yeah. the old eighties action movies and all the other action movies that I, that I really enjoy. I mean, I will pull out the fifth element every now and then and watch that. I'll pull out the lethal weapon series Die Hard, Predator, you know, a, a lot of these movies, the Terminator, you know, pull out a lot of those and watch them. But I had no interest in, in going back and, and watching these movies. There's not, I don't know if it's that the, the characters are not compelling or it's just, you know, the the ultimate story is just, you know, not that great. Um, but they do get really, really good, you know, people from all the different types of action movies this time they got uh, some of the guys. They got Tony Jaa, and they got the guy from the Raid Redemption. Uh, it was a really good action star. Um, Megan Fox, okay. Megan Fox is and in it? Megan Fox is in it. She's apparently uh, Jason Statham's new love interest. They got rid of uh, Charisma Carpenter, I guess. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, the, the trailer looks good. It looked, you know, decent action and all. Um, they need yeah, Jackie Chan... But, I need Chow Young Fat, uh, some of those guys, some of those Hong Kong action stars. Yeah, I mean they already had Jet Li, um, so I, I, and, yeah. and you know he he his role was always small, and they they always gave him a bad time because he's so much smaller than all the other guys, you know. 
Um, so yeah, it, it would be fun to have uh, Jackie Chan in, instead of 50 Cent, which he's in this one. Mm. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, again, they're you know good for a watch. They're always good for at least one watch. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, it's funny because you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned Mel Gibson. He is currently filming in Las Vegas. Uh, I can't, Nula's telling me I can't remember the name of the movie, but he's filming somewhere around here. You know, I, I, I can't say I'm a fan of what he's, you know, done in his personal life, but there's a movie he did not too long ago that was just greatness. And it's called Fat Man. And it's uh, the story of him being Santa Claus in the modern era. And uh, it's got him and Walt Goggins as one of the bad guys. And it is just a great, great movie. Something you should watch. Uh, that, that one's something I give a lot of rewatchability to. Every It's, it's a Christmas movie for us. Yeah. Though it, I think I've, I think I've seen Christmas. bits of it. Yeah. I, I'd heard that he was going. He was thinking of doing a sequel or follow-up to Apocalypto, which I think is a great film. Um, and I don't know if that's true or not. But. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I know he's playing know. Elvis in a movie, or he played Elvis in a movie recently, called On the Line. Uh, I thought that was a. Uh, I thought that was a. Uh, and was a he's going to called... be. He's going to be in that um, TV miniseries about the Continental from the John Wick series. Yeah, I kept hearing about that. And I saw John Wick 4, which I I liked. I didn't like it as much as the other three, which I'm a huge fan of the first one. I mm-hmm. bought it in 4K the other day. Uh, I didn't like the way it ended, and I won't spoil anything. But now I heard that you know originally that film is going to be two films split and then he decided to make it one that's why it's almost three hours long I, it was so long that, that was my only thing about the movie is that it was so long i enjoyed but it i i didn't like the ending again we'll spoil it yeah but now i've heard that they're already in talks of making another one so well, yeah because i i knew i knew that that ending wasn't what it what what they purported it to be i right. knew, never for a moment did i think i i knew there was going to be another one and the fact that there was supposed to be two films, I could see how maybe that ending was the ending to the first part, and then they would yeah. pull up. I did like, I mean, the, the, the highlight of it was Donnie Young, which I really like him. And I thought, mm-hmm. he and he's getting where he plays the, the blind uh, kind of assassin uh, ninja guy that he did in Rogue One. Uh, yeah. But, I'd, I'd like to see him do, do more of um, what, uh, is it, Shokasugi did in Blind Fury? Is that Shokasugi? No, that's uh, Rickard Howard. Rutger Howard's Blind Fury. Yeah, but the bad guy that oh. he wound up fighting, the the the, the, the samurai he fought at the end, he wasn't blind because Rutger no. Howard was blind. Yeah. blind. yeah, he was blind. Shokasugi uh, was the bad guy? I think so. I'm going to look no. it up now. Um, what was the name of the movie? I've liked Blind all Fury? Blind Fury, that's right. Yeah. We were going to talk about a... a comic book today <laughs> well let's let's talk about a comic book yeah well i'm just waiting for that to come up and okay there and brian you're, you usually seem to be up on this any any news from burn robotics um what i mean on, on anything you seem to follow up pretty well so if he's chatting or bringing anything up um well to- i'll say this first it is shokasugi who plays the assassin and um, the, the 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 final fight, the boss fight at the end of the movie is really good. 
the movie itself is just kind of meh for the most of it. But uh, Rucker Hauer is a blind guy that uses a samurai sword mm-hmm. uh, that he picked up somewhere in uh, Cambodia or maybe part of Vietnam, but it didn't seem like Vietnam. Anyway, uh, you were asking me about, and my memory's just gone like crazy, but you're asking just now, John, you're asking me about what? Um, if you've noticed any. Oh, on the burn robotics. Really, yeah. not a whole lot. I mean, he's um, he hasn't been putting out. Uh, obviously, he hasn't been doing any art um, that he's willing to speak about, and that doesn't mean that he's not doing anything at all. I, I understand that there were some uh, things with IDW that had been discussed in the past. Now, Chris Rael is no longer at IDW, so I don't know if he's got as good a relationship with them as he had before. But it is possible he could be doing some other Star Trek work there. Um, but there's not any um, anything specific that we've been told about. Um, and there hasn't really been any new talk of any new Omnibus, you know, any new Omnibus coming out for anything. Though, um, wasn't there a Doom Patrol Omnibus coming out? I think there is, yeah. Uh, is there? Or it's already come out of his his run there um let me check real quick something was mentioned on our side about that they need to be needs to have a uh probably too small for an omnibus but it could be like an absolute uh the omac omac yeah yeah that was that was my post i was just saying we need to have it you know um it's uh you know it's one of those things i'm just like i was sitting there looking at that going you know, I don't I don't have a, a, a digital copy of OMAC anywhere. So if I want to read it, I've got to pull out those prestige format books. And every time you open one of those, you ruin it so much more. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so many people ruin their copies of Dark Knight Returns one because they kept going back and reading it. So yeah. there, there are not as many of those in pristine condition. You know, so, so I get two, um, one to stock and one to rock. <laughs> right. Well, when we yeah, covered so OMAC, I couldn't dig mine up because mine were buried. So I actually bought four new copies to cover. And then after we did the show, I think Luke Giaconetti mentioned enjoying the show. So I sent him the copies to read. Hmm. That needs to be, not only needs to be a nice deluxe format, but I want like an artist edition. So I want to see like his raw pages and a nice cleaned up copy of the all the issues you know apparently for a long time they'd lost the stats of his pages and it was only within like the last 10 years that they actually found them well he should still have well i don't know if he has the no he sold them he sold them all oh yeah that yeah yep through uh you gotta pay the bills yep and now the, the other question that, you know, that came up, you know, and this is something that, you know, anybody could discuss is Terry Austin. Now, to my knowledge, Terry Austin had not sold virtually any of the pages that he's gotten from all the work that he's done over the years, you know, keeping it as, you know, a nest egg for his retirement. But is, is he is he still working at this point? I mean, isn't it time to retire? Isn't it time to, to enjoy the fruits of, of, of the labors after after all this time? I mean, if you were to cash out right now, take all that to heritage auctions and have them auction that off, he'd walk away millionaire many times over just in the sheer volume of work that he did. 
Yeah. I don't know. Well, he's only. I mean, how old is Terry Austin? He's born in '52, so it makes him. So he's 71. Yeah. He says, say 70. Yeah. He could. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> he'd still it, be it working. Seems like it's time to do that, but I, I, again, he probably makes enough from whatever work he does, as well as all the convention appearances he does. That um, it, Mike's Amazing World says his last work was in 2019, so I guess he is retired, yeah. unless he's doing commercial work. He could, or he could be doing commissions too. Yeah, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen him at a convention. I've never got his autograph. I've never seen him at hmm. least either ones I went to. That's that's a good point. I, I, I started thinking about it. It's like, yeah, I never actually have seen. Hmm. Well, it's like Alan Davis. I, I'm a big fan of Alan Davis, Adam Davis, Alan Davis, sorry. And he was showing up at something recently because I'm on a follow Facebook page of his, but it was like in Ohio or someplace wasn't readily available to me. But I've never met him at a at a convention either. Hmm. I'm checking. CGC seems to have someone's questioned him about that. Uh, but. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to get any good answers on that right now. Uh, no, Terry Austin, he does go um, – no, he hasn't done anything recently, and the only kind of signings he does are like mail-in signings, or he has done mm-hmm. mail-in signings. Not. Some people just don't like to do commissions. He does do some kind of tour in the fall, um, but there's no real information on any any website, and it looks like he goes from store to store rather than – convention to convention so he does like private signings hmm i don't know if anybody's got any information on that it yeah is, i'd uh, love to post it on facebook for us yeah definitely would like to hear about that so we've come to the point where we're actually going to talk about a comic book yeah <laughs> great it's a comic book podcast all right tim take her away all right as stated we are doing flash it's called flash tv special number one uh this came out and it had a cover price of three ninety five, so it was like a more of a deluxe because it had seventy two pages. So yeah. the story we're going to cover is only twenty five pages. Burn first story. Our our writer is John Byrne. Our artist is Javier Zatares. I'm pronouncing right. Uh, he is also the inker. Our colorist is Glenn Whitmore. Letter is Albert de Guzman, and editor is Brian Augustine. It had a cover date of 1991 with a release date of August 20th, 1991. Now, this is where I'm going to get you to help me out, Brian, because we had some conflicting information. What mm-hmm. I could find was the other burn books at the same time were Iron Man 273, Here There Be Dragons, and he was the writer, and then Namor mm-hmm. uh, Submariner number 19, Nine Wives, where he was writer and artist. Now, this this came out actually months before that. Um so this came out the same time as Iron Man 264, which was, uh, I believe, the beginning of the uh, story arc with uh, oh, the giant dragon and the Mandarin, uh, with John Romita Jr. doing the artwork. So he was just a writer on that. On Iron Man, yes. Yeah, and then Namor the Submariner was issue 10, Dark Nativity, which we've covered. I think we covered it. We did. We did. Yes. And uh, that's uh, uh, the... Oh, I don't even remember her. What they called her and him, the the the, the, the Mars twins. Oh, yeah, no, not the Mars twins. No, no, no. It was, Master um, Man and Warrior Woman. Yeah, Master oh, Man and okay. Warrior Woman. I wanted to say Warrior Woman, but I was thinking that was wrong. And then issue one of OMAC, 
also came out at this time. Um, and then there was a reprint, well, the, the trade paperback of Days of Future Past. And this was a good trade paperback because it not only had that, it had the uh, Kitty Pride uh, Christmas attack by the Nagari demon. And um, I believe he had, had the Wendigo storyline in there as well. Uh, what the number 10, the Christmas special. And the other things it talked about, of course, was Superman uh, 1990, number two. Now, that was, a, a, I believe, British reprints. And then uh, Who's Who in the DC Universe, number six, which is Adam Strange to Wildcat 2. Uh, and then the, he did the cover for Mickey Mouse Adventures, number eight. So all in all, a busy month. That's, I mean, that's you know, what I saw. And looking at the time and the things in the, in the blurbs, uh, it seems to match up. Yeah, and that's what, again, we talked about this off air, but threw me off was we use Mike's Amazing World, which is a great resource. But you can go by the chronology of an artist, which is where your list came from. But if you go to the, like the, the newsstand where it shows copies of all the books, I only found the two that I listed. So something is off. There. Yeah, it's like it's it, the database for that is kind of like, you know, buttoning your shirt wrong. Once you get one button off, it just cascades wrong for the rest of yeah. it. True. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, there's, you know, there's something that's not wrong in there and it just overlaps and you can't you can't uh, count that as as well as we can the chronology. I don't know who put this chronology together. We found it seven, eight years ago, and it has been an incredibly valuable yeah, resource. So I will post it on our page from time to time for anybody that wants it, um, as well as a link to Mike's Amazing World, so you can use both those resources because they're both incredibly uh, valuable to use. Mike Boyles, who uh, did Mike's Amazing World, uh, just put together one of the most comprehensive uh, comic book databases out there. So you can you can forget the, the 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 minor thing of that when all the other information is so good. If you want to find out who worked on any particular book, if the information's out there, he's got it in here. So uh, yeah, I love this love this uh, resource. Anyway, all right, let's. Uh, like I said, he he did a lot of stuff then though, and and yeah. just sitting there thinking about you know the Namor and Omac, uh, and this is in the era of Duo Shade. So you've got all that in the artwork that he did on both those books. And he actually did the inks on Namor that month, where normally he was having Bob Wyacek or somebody else do the inks. And obviously he did all the pencils and inks on OMAC. So, and of course he just, he was, he, I don't want to say just writing, but he was writing Iron Man and John Meter Jr. is doing all the artwork. But the, the, the story there for that is a, a pretty damn good story. And then to write this story. So, I mean, he's a busy man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was. <laughs> and look uh, look for continuing oh, coverage what the, of uh, what Namor. The special. Oh, yeah, the what the, which we have covered. Yep. But look for uh, continuing coverage of Namor that Kirk and I are doing. We've covered the first issue. We have more. Uh, we can get around to recording. We're going to start recording those uh, um, consecutively. Oh, I, know. I want. I wanted to mention. I, I looked at that cover to the Mickey Mouse Adventures, and it's a spoof of Namor issue one cover. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I recall seeing that now. Yep. Now, did y'all look at the cover to this Flash special, the Flash TV special? Yeah, it's a photo. Yeah, it's a photo, and you've got a picture of Barry down there, and it looks like I guess it's supposed to be lab equipment. 
there uh-huh. around around his head. But it actually looks like there's a trumpet on his left side, <laughs> on <laughs> yeah. his shoulder. It's like a trumpet sitting on his shoulder. I almost expect him to put his hands up there. And then, of course, you've got Flash in the costume. Um, yeah, it looks like a almost like a publicity still. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that was something they used in TV Guide. Or... Like a press kit or something, yeah. Yeah. I've always liked that costume. I mean, it's not like anything that was ever in the comic books. But it's, uh, you know, I mean, it just had that texture to it. It almost looked like it was blur. Yeah, it did. It looked funny. Yeah. It, it, it really like enhanced a... the, the musculature, and it just looked really, really cool on screen. And it was close to the, the one in the books, so. Well, yeah, I mean, it has the, the, the design and shape of it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the closest that we've actually seen to, say, uh, an original Carmine Infantino costume, if you watched like the second or third season of the Flash TV series mm. that just ended, um, they, they actually got it, it. So he even looked like Carmine Infantino drew him. Wow. <laughs> so I, I was I was pretty impressed with what yeah. they had done, but they've gotten so far away from that in the later costumes. And, of course, the ones that Ezra Miller wears, uh, nothing like any no. Flash costume I'd ever seen. No. Hey, let's uh, let me get the synopsis out of the way. All right. And I now we preface it. This is based on the TV show, the John mm-hmm. Wesley Sip. So it's not the traditional DC characters. It's the characters out of the TV show and. For this issue, <clears> or <throat> this story, Byrne has written it like a TV show. It's, it looks like you read it and you see the artwork. It looks like something that could have easily been produced by that '90s TV show with their with their limited budget then, which is nothing like it is for shows now. So my synopsis, I've kind of written it like, kind of like a screenplay. So you'll understand when I read it. Okay, so our story is called "The Quick and the Dead." Hold open. Log entry. 3425. Central City apartment at night. Man dons a high-tech helmet and gloves. We switch to a distorted POV. A couple kissing on the apartment stoop are interrupted and their car is stolen by a phantom. Cut to opening credits of the Flash TV show. Turn for commercial. Act 1. A scarlet speedster races down the street. Barry Allen is getting used to his new powers. He is chasing a stolen armored car along with the police. He rushes ahead of the vehicle as the two crooks speed down the speed down an alley. He jumps over the car as it crashes into the wall. He ties up the two men and leaves the stolen loot for the police to find. As he watches the cops take away the prisoners, he overhears about a break in the Star Labs. <laughs> this place. Yep, here I come into town to tell you about the new steak sandwich at Burger King. It's a four ounce flame. A few seconds later, Barry is at Star Labs where he finds Tina among a ransacked office. He tells him the office was invaded by a ghost. Jump cut. Log entry 3430. Dr. Kemp is entertaining a young woman in his apartment. They embrace as a piece of heavy statue floats off the table and moves towards Kemp. The ghostly voice taunts Kemp about the past before bludgeoning to death as a young woman looks on in horror. Jump cut. Barry Allen in his role as police crime forensic (laughs) police uh, lab tech inspects a badly beaten body of Kemp. 
The young woman tells the detective Kemp was killed by an invisible man, and before he died, he said the name Wells. Perry calls Tina and asks if the name Wells means anything to her. She tells him she worked with Kemp in the past, but Wells is dead, or is he? Disembodied voice tells Tina the dead do not rest easy, as an Erlenmeyer flash smashes into the wall. Harry hears Tina scream and is gone in a flash. Once upon a time in the sewer, there were four cute little turtles. Who suddenly went through this incredible mutation process and became the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles! <laughs> Act 2. The Flash arrives to witness Tina's lab being destroyed by a phantom. It's Wells, shouts Tina. A piece of machinery weighing a ton is ripped from the floor and hovers over the Flash. Barry tries to punch the entity, but passes through it and smashes into the wall. He avoids being crushed by the machinery, but then throw, but is then thrown across the room. Tina notices that her instruments that monitor the Flash are picking up intense shortwave interference. She is starting to connect the dots. <laughs> We all count on our batteries to get us through, but you never know when they're going to hit the skids. Only Duracell has the Copper Top Battery Tester, so you can be sure your batteries will keep you gliding along. You can't top the Copper Top. Tina grabs a set of jumper cables she connects to a metal chair and the desk as the flash is being beaten by invisible fists. She throws the chair towards a large desk about to come down on the Scarlet Spacer's head. With a loud and a ghostly energy outline, the desk crashes to the ground, and Tina is thrown to the floor. Wait till you see the next generation of photos. Introducing the Kodak Photo CD. You won't believe your heart. You won't believe your eyes. Act 3. Tina slowly comes to in the arms of the Flash. He asks what she did, and her explanation is simple electrical theory. She grounded the ghost. She now knows Wells is alive. He must have survived the implosion at his lab that everyone thought had killed him. He must have competed the work he was doing with Kemp over five years ago. Flashback. They were working on a system of broadcast mass manipulation. A pair of, basically a pair of electromagnetic hands used to manipulate objects. Back to the present. Wells wants revenge on those who he feels arranged his accident. Jump cut. A beaker smashes the wall, missing Tina's head. A ghostly POV of Tina. She calls out Wells, alerting the flash outside the lab. Harry races away from the lab. Tina set up a reverse link in his suit that blinks out every time he crosses through Wells' power beam. He traces the beam back to Wells' hideout and crashes through the door. Punch the jaw and the attack is over. Wells loses his helmet and Barry sees that he is in a wheelchair. The lab explosion had robbed him of his legs. Wells did not want revenge, but he needed to eliminate everyone who might recognize his completed work. He created a new set of electronic legs that allowed him to run and jump again. The Flash feels sorry for him. Wells could have accomplished so much with his invention, but he only used it to walk. Epilogue. Barry and Tina ponder about the short-sightedness of Wells over dinner. He could have done anything, but the loss of his legs twisted his psyche. The end. Good, uh, good synopsis there, Tim. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. great job. Yeah. I tried to, but as I was reading it, it does feel like a TV episode. Yeah, I think he did a good job in representing it that way. I just, I just wish the artist number one 
you know, here two character models, which apparently, I guess he'd never seen any pictures from the TV series. They're not at all. Because nobody looks like anybody. You know, the thing is like when, you know, you read some books that are based off a TV series or a movie, you can hear the character's voice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like when you saw that Tina McGee, I wasn't, I never heard the British accent when I was reading. And I never heard John Wesley Ship's voice uh, from this very on because he did, they don't, none of them look like them. They do on the TV series. So I, I don't know what they're thinking there. They had character models and they just ignored them. Well, I don't know when this is, I mean, was this done in advance of the show coming out? Was it, did you not have your point? They have photos of the actors uh, in costume and out of costume. So uh, uh, let me, let me see here. I mean, the, the Flash TV series started in 90. So a whole year before, and, and it was one season and it was one season over two years. The, the fact of the matter is, is it was an expensive show to put together, like oh, $4 yeah. million dollars an episode. And as such, the, the network, you know, while recognizing that it was a hit, kept putting it at time slots that uh, hurt it, like Friday nights at 730. Um, you know, just it, it, anything to kill it because it just cost so much to do. And they didn't make as much off the advertising that they would have liked to. Is this Fox? So, this wasn't Fox, was it? CBS? Um, ABC? I'm I'm trying to remember um, where it originally broadcast. But let's see. It ran from September 1990 all the way to May of 91. So this this book at the tail end of it, right, right, right as it was ending. I wonder if it was to help bolster the the uh, the TV show. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, this probably was thought of a good nine months before it was actually, you know, put out, and probably started working on it five months before it came out. Four months, five months before it came out. So the show was in big swing. The show was doing really good, and then the network just kind of said, "You know what? We don't we don't want to do this. So we're just gonna kill it." Well, from the from the the dialogue, it seems like. Barry has not been the Flash for very long because he talks about getting kind of used to his powers and starting to enjoy it. So this would seem the early in yeah. the TV run, um, not kind of established because, you know, she um, and they don't really have any other characters from because his lab assistant. I can't remember his name, but he had a young oh, um, uh, yeah, African-American yeah. Um, lab assistant. And, and I, I cannot remember his name. All of it, uh, it's killing me. And well, actually, I, I know how I can find out because I've got the and thing they had right two, here. And the, the uh, two Julio the, Mendez, played yeah. by Alex Desert. And I wonder if the two cops that are because there were two cops in the show that were one was a believer and one was not. You know, one, Bellows and Murphy. Yeah, and I wonder if they are. That's supposed to be these two cops. There were two cops. In I don't know. But other than that, there's no there's no other recognizable characters from the show. But, but now mm-hmm. here's the thing. The character of Wells, is this supposed to be Harrison Wells? Because he's in a wheelchair. He's Wells. He's an angry scientist. And he's going after the Flash. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it, that's one of the things that I was when I was reading through is like, oh, my. This, there's so much of this that seems to have been pulled into the CW version. Mm-hmm. Uh, the monitors on the Flash's body all the time, you know, what Tina was doing. Uh, so it really does seem like they pulled a lot of 
inspiration from the original TV series to bring that into the CW version. Well, they, I mean, they love to show the love for that TV series with any chance they get yeah. utilizing John Wesley's ship. They even yeah. utilized uh, uh, Tina McGee's character, Amanda Pays, um, on there a couple times. And well, Didn't they also uh, yeah. bring in Mark Hamill? Wasn't he in as yeah, the, Mark Hamill's the, trickster. The, pranks, the trickster? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so maybe they did pull this because that, that is because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, is this what Harrison Wells was based on? Because this is so much his story practically in uh, in the CW version. So if, if so, kudos on them. Good, good job, man. I didn't I didn't make that connection. I just assumed his name was Wells because of H.G. Visible Man. That's the connection I made. Yeah. Harrison G. Wells. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think oh, it was well, a character yeah, I mean, from that show. Was that? Sorry. I didn't think it was. I didn't make that leap that he was could be. They could have based uh, the Wells character on the the Lantiverse show on this. Now, the, the, here's an sense. interesting statement um, in Wikipedia. It says that the character was created by Jeff Johns and Greg Berlanti for the Berlantiverse and is not based on any existing character appearing in comics published by DC. Interesting. I'm kind of wondering about that based on this. And then uh, you can make an argument. I can can kind of call some a little bit of a shenanigan there. It's just too coincidental. I know. I know. (laughs) They may not have purposefully did it. Maybe, maybe, you know, it was a memory or they, you know, it just kind of came in because they remembered it and they didn't actually go back and say, oh, yeah, we're going to base this on this person. But it's just too coincidental to say, oh, yeah, this is nothing based on anything. Unless they don't consider this part of the comics universe because it's so far outside of the the norm, yeah. But <laughs> okay. And now the the other thing I wanted to to say is that on page five, the armored car almost hits this couple, or it does flatten a couple against the wall. I can't tell. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it looks like they're 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 going to be dead, you know, because maybe the front doesn't hit them, but the rear's gonna. Well, I think it looks like it's turning, but you're right. It does look like it's it's about to yeah. squash them. And it's it's just it's just the art. I mean, because if you look at the panel before it, it's going at the wall at the same angle as Dale Earnhardt did when he died. Uh-huh. And the next thing you see it, and it's flattening, you know, out like it's you know, turning. It's turning right. The the, the front wheels are turned right, like it's going to try. Yeah, but with the wheels are off the ground, staying basically, it's skidding into the to the wall. Yeah. Well, these two guys would would be dead because if you look at the art, they are not wearing seatbelts and they (laughs) hit this wall head on because they he actually hits the accelerator and says, "I'm going to squash him." Then the flash hops over and then they hit the wall and they're just knocked out. No, those guys are through the windshield and dead. Yeah, why they didn't go through the windshield uh, yeah. or at least splatter on the on a reinforced windshield. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's probably it. Not not a good PSA there DC on uh, wearing seatbelts. No. But you could see this being done filmed for the show. They yes, could easily, absolutely. Uh, yeah. it's a car chase and you have, you know, they would do that um which is I think was was so expensive on the show they did some type his streaking effect. That they did, which now could probably be easily done with computer graphics. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, to your point, where they're not on um, not on model. When they show Barry later, when he's in his civilian, this guy, they got him as being blonde, yep. and John Wesley Ships is kind of brown haired. So they aren't right. even trying to match the TV show. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it's and and Tina McGee, kind of a little bit um, maybe, but no. And um, kind of yeah. generic scientist woman. Well, the the other thing is that her facial features seem to change so much between panels that she looks like completely different women. You know, um, it's just yeah. I guess after the first attack, she must have changed clothes too. But um, yeah, you know the the artwork in this is good and it's bad. I can see where this artist is going, but there's something just a little too cartoony in the style. You know, um, I mean, obviously he didn't stay with the the character models, and sometimes he made the eyes so big that you could throw a baseball into him. And his speed lines got a little annoying in some in some he, areas. He loves his speed lines. He loves his speed lines. It's almost like he's doing manga. <laughs> and the thing is, when he's showing the flash running, he needs to continue using the the smattering of yellow that he did early on. Oh, yeah. He'd show the flash running, and he had the yellow lightning there following behind him. And that worked. That made his his speed lines for the running look good. But once he stopped using those, and he'd stopped using them after like the first first time he shows them running. I mean, he, they show up here and there, but he doesn't use them enough, and so therefore the speed lines look very lazy. Well, he he is. I will say he's mimicking the TV show in that respect because the TV show had a a, a kind of a red blur. It was just when, kind of a red blur, wasn't it, Tim? When, when, yeah, kind of a red but streak or a blur behind yellow him. In it. It always had the yellow in it, you know, Did from it? the earpieces. Yeah. I don't remember. I'd have to look again. I I thought that looked mm-hmm. more like the, you know how they draw him now or where they have him on live action where he's generating this electrical kind yeah. of feel around him, which I'm not crazy about. That's what that kind of looked like when he's running into the lab and you see the yellow. Uh, it's supposed yeah, to be. You, his. you wonder why nobody else sees that the 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 lightning crackling around whenever he's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, overall, I think it was it was a, it was an entertaining enough story, and it totally did feel like it felt in the TV verse. Right, uh, Tim. Uh, to your point, it yeah. really felt like okay, yeah, this is totally something that would fit into the TV show. Yeah, well, yeah I, I get I, burn kudos for that because he nailed it for that aspect of it. I kind of feel like Burn wrote the story, he gave it to them, they kept it in a drawer somewhere, and I said, "Hey, we can do this now." You know, it it and and I don't know that um, he went back and scripted i think he'd already written all the script uh-huh. you know rather than coming back and <clears throat> scripting it after the guy did it because i don't know the two don't go together the art and the story the story's good the art is just there i mean I, i'm not saying the art's bad because it it represents everything it's just uh, weird in the way it it looks i, I i'd give the art you know because we're tim and i did back to the best i'll give the artist c <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, and then the story is a solid B. Well, I wonder if do they when like the Flash TV show that's out now. I know they will borrow uh, stories that from existing comics, but do they ever tap into actual comic writers for some of their? I mean, do they have them submit storylines or Jeff Johns who was in was in total control of what they were doing. On, on that series for years. 
you know, giving them all the storylines that they were working on. That's why they did Flashpoint and all that. Because was he was just a consultant. Lines. He wasn't actually writing episodes, was he? Uh, he would give the story idea, and then the, their 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 writers would you know do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it would be based on a story by Jeff Johns. If I remember right. Because you think that'd be a natural if you're having a, a live action version of a comic property, reach out to the people that wrote the the original stories or wrote for that media or the comic book medium and have tapped them to write. But maybe they don't. It's, it's it's. I mean, maybe it's a hard uh, transition to make if you write used to writing comic book where you can draw anything, and then you have to write for a TV show where you're limited what you can do. Yep. Yep. Well, um, do you think we've said pretty much everything we got to say? Yeah, it's, it's it's. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not. It's it's if you're a fan of the. Sh- TV show, it's worth picking up and um, taking a look at it. It's not it's not Burns' best work, um, but I think for capturing the feel of a TV show, he gets high marks for that because that's what he's done. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because the artist in the second one actually drew Barry from. I don't know if he photo referenced him, but he he got Barry's look down just right. Not not the Flash so much, and then of course there was a lot of other stuff in there, pictures and stuff from the. From yeah. the TV series, um, this, the second story reminds me a lot of Steve Ditko's art style. Hmm. Yes, it does. I'm looking at it right now, uh, John. You're right. It's more cartoony, but you're yeah. right. It's more stylized. But Barry and Tina are both on model, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They look like. Um, and then they also had an episode guide, so they had. Let me see. Well. It looks like they had every episode. Yeah, in the back. Yeah, they've got a. Porto Verano did a big, big uh, one page spread, and Joe Kubert did one also. I don't think I'd ever seen Joe Kubert draw The Flash. Hmm. If so, it would have been on a cover of like maybe DC Comics Presents or something like that. Well, I just. You know, I'll I'll tell you this. I I remember buying this book. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. the Ronnie at uh, Heroes Workshop uh, had a pull list, and so he would pull out that. And since I got the the Flash regularly, um, I got you know he went ahead and pulled this for me, and I, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. I'll go ahead and get that. And then later, as I'm reading it, I'm like, this is not worth three ninety five. Did you I mean, regret it, your three ninety five purchase? I did. I did. <laughs> I just. I'm like, it's two stories. It's got this other stuff in the back, but it really just looked to me, it looked like it was thrown together. It might have been um, a last ditch attempt to kind of, again, prop up the, or cash in or prop up the TV show. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I I still got it, but it's not one of those that I sit there and hold with any um, sentimentality. You're not going to grade and slap it, Brian? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, come on. 9.5. 9.5. Yeah. Let's let's see what that's going for these Take days. Take it to a convention and get John Wesley ship assignment. Yeah, that'd be fun. It's funny, I, I kind of answered my own question because I'm looking at the episode guide in the back and Howard Chaikin wrote a lot of these stories. Hmm. The episodes. Oh yeah, so 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 he did. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know some make that like a... Uh, uh, oh, uh... 
God, what's his name? He wrote the Red Hulk series. Jeff, uh, Jeff Johns, Jeff um, Loeb. Jeff Loeb. Yeah. He writes a lot for um, Marvel TV, and I think for a while he was helping produce the. I think he was one of the producers on the Shield show, wasn't he? Or something. He had something been. to do with that. Might have been. But I know he's um, kind of made that transition to TV. But okay, movies. so looking at this, you can find, um, you know, a, just a bagged copy of it on eBay for as low as four ninety five. You can find a nine point eight slabbed copy uh, going right now on eBay for two seventy nine. That doesn't mean anybody's buying it at that price. I mean, I see one all at a nine point four for eighty nine ninety five. Yeah, you're going to pay way more in shipping than you are for the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to um, pay for that, for that slab. So so in um, today's dollars, $3.95 is $9.30. So if you're getting it for $4.95, you're getting it for a deal still. Getting a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> I think so many of those slab books, you're paying for not to content, you're paying for that you have a book that is almost perfect and that's what's and driving the price not the book I, itself i don't i don't trust slabbing now because you can really you can open them up you can take your stuff out you can put it back in can you i i that's what i've been listening on on other shows about and uh there's certain types of slabbing where you can open them up and take them out and then put stuff back in uh slabbing of course does not protect a comic book from light no and, and and so the comic book is still going to degrade as time goes on. It's not a hermetically sealed, you know, thing that that's going to protect it from all elements. Um, so when you see something that's nine point eight, it was nine point eight at that point in time. That's no guarantee that it's going to maintain that integrity. Do they? Uh, I've never had anything slabbed. I thought about it. Me either. Briefly, what my giant size X-Men number one. I thought, ooh, should I get this slabbed? Um, and I considered when Lynn Wein was in Dallas a couple years before he passed, taking up there and thought, ooh, do I have him sign it? And I thought, well, it won't be authenticated because there won't be any kind of a certificate showing that's his signature. Yeah. Is that going to run the value? I didn't do it. Ultimately, I didn't have him sign it. So I don't want to, you know, blow it and have it. But... Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I um, if I trust having that stuff slabbed. Yeah, the only thing that I've I've considered getting slabbed is um, I've got a uh, a book done by the guys from uh, Comic Book Man. You know, Walt Flanagan, um, and I can't even remember the the title of the book right now. Man, my memory is just so so. <laughs> it's uh, from moving. I've had to do so much and and sign so many things and try to find paperwork from twenty three years ago that. I'm frazzled. I'm I'm in the house. I'm still living out of boxes, and uh, I'm I'm fried. All this and trying to work at the same time. It's it's a it's been crazy. It's hard. But um, yeah, there was a book that they did a couple years ago, and my wife got for me a very special variant cover. And um, let me see some. But you guys can talk amongst yourselves on other things. I'm just like doing this because my memory, you know, for the sake of my memory. Tim, what do you think of uh, the the book overall? Would you have wanted it? If you mm. saw it in 1990, would you have bought it, or did you? Prop. I don't think I did. I don't think I own it. Um, 
Probably not. I mean, I, I liked the show when it came out. I owned it on DVD. Um, I wasn't. I think it, I, my problem with the show was it. They took uh, kind of storylines out of the comic and they kind of TV fight them and changed them around. So I thought it was a. I thought the movie was pretty good. The, the pilot movie was good, but I probably they, would not have picked this the up. The Trickster episodes were really good. Mm-hmm. I thought that because that felt like a uh, a DC character, but sometimes he would just go up against generic bad yeah. guy. And it's like no, yeah. he needs yeah. to be going up yeah, against they, a villain. When they had Captain Cold, um, yeah. that was good. But uh, the, the Trickster episodes were really good because they also had Joyce Heiser in there, and I don't remember what her character's name was. I don't even know if her character was based on a comic book character or not. But um, she always added some juice to any episode that she was in. Of course, Mark Hamill was basically giving his audition for the Joker? to do the voice of the Joker for the animated series, which apparently he never once thought that he was going to get the Joker role for the animated series. He he went into that audition and says, I'm going to give them the best you know Joker that they'll never, ever use because they're not going to want him. And, of course, they loved him and they took him. That's probably what made it work and the book i was trying to remember the title of was the cryptozoic man by by walt flanagan and i think ming chen and michael zapsic uh helped in production of that and they all signed it so it's like even brian johnson signed it so if you know anything about the the comic book man in the busk universe you own this uh john no i don't and i i probably if I saw it, I probably wouldn't have picked it. I might have flipped through it and thought, eh, no, I don't really like the art that well. Uh, like you, you know, I, I, I watched the TV show and I was kind of interested in it. I liked it. I liked John Wesley's ship. I, I thought I think he made a good flash at the time. And um, and yeah, the best episode really was when the trickster came out, because then it felt like it, we were back in the universe. You know, we had a costumed uh, foil for Flash. And and of course, Mark Hamill gave a great performance, but the other one was just kind of it, to me, the rest of them just felt like regular police procedural uh, with just this little added thing of a little bit of speed. So, um, well, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it's almost like they were embarrassed to go full comic book. And they tried yeah. to keep it uh, a little more grounded, even though you've got a guy in a red suit that's running, you know, the speed of sound. Yeah. Uh, and we, what we didn't mention is if anybody has not seen the show, it was heavily influenced by Batman, Batman 89, from the music to the set design, the kind of modern but retro looking uh, yeah, kind of aesthetic kind of feel. Yeah. And yeah. Now Shirley Walker actually did the, the Flash theme, didn't she? Um, I don't she's really the same it, person. It, she she did a lot of the. Um, I'm not gonna pull her up because it uh, sounds very Elfman like. It sounds very Elfman like. She's from Elfman School. She did the yeah. the uh, the soundtrack for um, Chevy Chase's Invisible Man movie. The John John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Memoirs um, of an Invisible Man. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Yeah. And um, she did uh, True Lies, Dick Tracy, Escape from L.A. Uh, she was she worked with Danny Elfman on Dick Tracy and on Darkman. Um, but she let's see where I can see where they got her as composer. She has 63 credits. And uh, she passed away, looks like, in 2000. 
six. This this show, the show, and now we're talking about the show and the comic, but the show has the same problems that if you've ever watched the Spider-Man 70s Nicholas Hammond show, mm-hmm. he would often when go up against, he'd go up against Chris Crooks and stuff. And yeah, I understand Spider-Man can be street level, but he never, he never brought in any villains from the, the, the comics. It was always generic bad guy, generic crime boss or something like that. And again, I guess that's a TV budget thing or they're afraid to go full comic book. Yeah. Was, uh, wow. Not only did she do the flash, she did Batman mask of the phantasm. She was composer on that. That's a good soundtrack. And, and so she did a lot of Batman in the animated series, The Adventures of Captain Zoom in, in Outer Space. I've never heard of that. No. Uh, Space Above and Beyond. Oh, that's a fox. Yeah, it's an old fox. Uh. Todd McFarlane's Spawn. That was an amazing TV series. The HBO cartoon? The HBO seat, yeah. Oh. And so she did The New Adventures of Batman. She did compose seven episodes for Superman the Animated Series. Uh, Batman Beyond, the update on Willard, Black Christmas. Uh, she, yeah, she she kept busy, and I think she was like one of the first female composers to win a primetime Emmy, hmm. uh, which she got for Space Above and Beyond. But she was nominated. But uh, not many female composers really get a lot of uh, notoriety, and she was definitely one of the. Uh, uh, more upstanding in that regard. I always like your music. Well, any, um, I think we can wrap this up. Any, uh, you said there's not a lot to talk about on this, but any final, uh, I think we talked about whether we recommend this or not. It, it, it's more of a, if you're a fan of Flash comic, I don't think you need to bother with it, but if you're a fan of the TV show, then you can buy a digital copy for $2. You can find it. The thing is, is that there's a, <laughs> dearth of John Byrne based flash material out there. If you want to see John Byrne drawing the flash, you have to look at his um, legends series where he drew Wally West uh, being the flash. And he, while he was in it, he wasn't in it a whole lot. Um, I can't think of, of any place else was and was flash, even a character in the JLA classified series that Byrne did. I don't think Byrne just says did not, do a lot with it's not a character you associate with uh burn so and part of that i think is because he doesn't he says he's only got so many uh running positions that he can you know do he just <laughs> didn't want to be so um you know re, you know repetitive he, he does with he does better with flying figures or spider-man swinging like figures yeah um there is a story in the, the... DC Universe by John Byrne. I think it's from Flash Special, 80-page giant that's with him and um, Jake Eric Flash. Oh. Oh, nice. And it's full-on artwork and story. Uh, and uh, I almost read that one, and then then I confirmed that we were reading the TV special one. Ah. So I'm going to pull that out, but I got my headphones on, so I can't This can't is more of a This is more of an oddity, <laughs> but because people are not as familiar with this one as they are the uh, the other books we just talked about. but So we should possibly cover that once the movie comes out. Where we, we could do another yeah, see. yeah, see how the... Another connection to The Flash. Yeah. <laughs> and this time we'll get to talk about the artwork as well. <laughs> well, uh, talk about the artwork favorably. Favorably. And uh, yeah. this uh, 
DC Universe by John Byrne is currently on Amazon for like $33. You can get um, the physical copy uh, at some Ollie's for very cheap. Mm-hmm. They don't Stop have those out here. In that you have Ollie's that you can buy cheap hard copy books at. They don't have oh, those the out fl- here. Yeah, the Flash is in JLA classified. Okay. So you get to see you get to see some flash burn flash goodness there too. But what John has is uh, is it West Coast Comics? It's in San Diego. Uh, yes. Um, oh, Southern Southern something. South comic. Southern California Comics or yeah, Southern California something like California. that. SoCal Comics. That is uh, a great place to pick up back issues. Yes. Yeah, they have like and a they're warehouse. reasonable. Yeah, it is. It's just in a kind of a little industrial park, and you go in there, and they have and they're pretty reasonable. I picked up a big chunk of my invaders from them a couple years ago. Well, I'm I'm waiting for you guys to come out to DFW so we can do a comic book shop crawl. I mean, there are 19 comic book shops. Wow. In in the Metroplex area, that's more than you have in the the New York area. Wow, that is yeah. a lot of comic book shops, yeah. and they're all supporting each supporting themselves. So that's even better. I, I mean, in, in my old neighborhood, I had three comic book shops within five minutes in in, in several different directions. My goodness, and we have there's maybe one that's, that's five a ten minute drive Vegas. from here right now. Um, and then I mean, there's a Sci-Fi Factory. It's a ten minute drive, and then there's one that's about a twenty twenty five minute drive, and that's um. Uh, collected, which uh, Collected is now run by, uh, well, I mean, Collected is a shop that uh, I used to refer to as Heroes Workshop, but run by Ronnie, Ron Killingsworth and Brent, who uh, they run the two shops that are over here. I think they have a third one somewhere. But, uh, and then of course, there's our buddies at Fanboys that um, they have some comic book back issues, but they're not a comic book shop per se. They're more of a uh, pop culture. Culture, yeah. Uh, thing and they, they they only sell back issues of anything nothing brand new but uh they're they're doing good good business around here too it's a place in vegas it's very similar to that called brad's toys where they've got mostly pop culture funkos statues figures yeah they've got a, yeah. some um back issues they're not in great shape but they're, but they're the official fanboys is the official comic book shop of the dallas mavericks oh there you go <laughs> yeah and they've even opened up their own grill which I, I don't know how that works, but okay. I, I got to go out there and try it. But, you know, I, I haven't had free time yet because, you know, the move. Yep. Oi. Well, all is, right. We got Let's, else uh, or... I, no, I think we can, we can, uh, I think we've covered this probably more than it deserves. So well, I'm, I'm <laughs> sad that, that Kirk and David did not get a chance to come in and give their opinions. I know David's been incredibly busy right now. And I don't know what happened to Kirk today. Maybe he just slept in late. Sometimes stuff, you know, maybe he was up late reporting on the news last night. Yep, yep. But you'll hear more from me, Kirk, on Namor. He's got all that smoke coming in, too. Yeah, Yeah. they're dealing with that. And so that's probably, yeah, it's probably keeping him very busy. All right. Well, Brian, you want to tell people where they can get a hold of us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. First first and foremost, you can write us if you'd like to. We can be, of course, found on Facebook. The Third Degree Burn Group is adding new members every day. And uh, we post every episode there. So if you've got any thoughts, you can sit there and write it right there in the field there. You can also find us uh, at our email address. That's got to get burned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. 
you can leave us a five-star review or, or any review, but we prefer a five-star on iTunes or what's now known as Apple Podcast. And uh, we've also got channels up on Discord. And I try to get out there each week to see what people are talking about, but I haven't really seen talking much about us. Now, J-Guys and Jedi, they got people talking about them all over Discord. And Gene Hendricks has been you know, managing that for everybody. And so a big thank you to Gene because he's also handled Twitter, Twitter amongst other things. But we, we – you know, we, we don't look at Twitter, really. So you don't need to say, say anything to us there. It'd, it'd probably scare us anyway. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, there's so many ways that you can you can write to us and let us know what you think, what you feel, what you want, and maybe even what you don't want. Um, but, that yeah, that's it. That's all I got. Well, I would like to uh, just give a little plug to uh, – if you've been on the Two True Feeks uh, Facebook page, you've probably seen this, but one of the founding members oh, – yeah. uh, had kind of a tragedy in his his life. He's he's okay, but he lost his home and I think most of his possessions. And they have a he lost everything. He couldn't even get his shoes on. Yeah. When it happened. So he got out with just the clothes on his back and no shoes. And he lost everything. And you know, Chris Honeywell, I mean, he's been collecting for 40, 50 years now. And on top of that, um, you know, his father was kind of like an Indiana Jones. If you've listened to any of the podcasts between him and Scott Gardner, where they talked about their personal lives, just all the stuff he talked about his father. And I'm sure he lost so much just irreplaceable memorabilia uh, from all that. And I know he's heartbroken over that. Um, the, the the way people have come together, there are a couple GoFundMe pages, of course, that uh, are doing that. People are wanting to send stuff, but he ha- he's gotten in plenty of clothes and he's got a place to stay right now until they figure out what they're going to do. They're probably going to get a new home built on the old spot. But uh, yeah, just uh, the, the GoFundMe page is probably the best uh, place to go. We'll go ahead and put a link to it in the show notes. Um, but, yeah, they really could use, you know, all the help they can get. Yeah, and to, to Scott made a comment that, you know, we're if you can help support this, that's fine. Um, if you can't, then... The, we completely understand, but mm-hmm. if you if you like what True True Freaks does, uh, Chris and Scott were the two that started it. They are the uh, OG, OG, I should say, right. or the goat, <laughs> or what, whatever the term we're using. But they are the founding fathers. It was their idea. OG, they, they got it started. Uh, so without them, there would be no True True Freaks, and then there'd be no Third Degree Burn. So if you can support in any way then we would greatly appreciate it. Chris would appreciate it. Everybody that listens to this network would appreciate it. So anyway, uh, thanks a lot. And uh, Tim, do you want to take us out? Sure. I want to thank everybody. If you've listened this far, I appreciate it. Uh, As Brian said, uh, give us feedback because that's how we can help kind of program future shows. And it lets us know if we're doing anything right. But but we need everybody else to contribute. We need you all to, to write in and tell us what you think. We want to know. So I want to thank Brian and John. It's always a pleasure having you guys on. Uh, it's always fun recording with you. And I want to thank everybody else for listening. Yep, thank you. Take care. Thanks, everyone. Right. A scarlet costume ejects from his ring. And in a blur of motion, police scientist Barry Allen becomes The Flash, world's fastest human. The Flash whose speed enables him to vibrate through solid walls and conquer the barriers of time and space in the pursuit of evildoers. The Flash!
Scarlet Speedster for Justice. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a g-e-t-b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing till next time this has been third degree burn some men aren't looking for anything logical like money they can't be bought bullied reasoned or negotiated with some men just want to watch the world burn